I'm going to take just a moment since Rosemary was uh, on the schedule to think, sing this morning. And uh, the Holy Spirit, we pray, always does our schedule because she has some awesome kids and grandkids. And she has an awesome son and daughter-in-law. Yes, you do. And let me tell you why I'm saying that today because you, you talk about having a couple in your church that every time there's something to do. They're such an example of this. I don't know that I've ever met any two people that are just more whatever the church needs. We're here. We, we, that's, our lives are, are, are kind of built around our family first and then our church. And yesterday, <clears throat> for the second year in a row, uh, I called Miss Vicky. And, of course, when you call Vicky, you call Steve. you call Steve, you call Vicky. So it's kind of a, you know dynamic duo, and I said, Vicki, would you help me again with the, with the car show? And she did, and it grew this year. It got bigger. It got a little better. We had a beautiful day. God blessed us. We raised some really good money for our parent-teacher association, which all that money just goes right back into the school to make improvements. And so I was wondering, and I think everyone that was there last night, uh, yesterday rather, could, could sense that there was a, a lot of effort and work given by Steve and Vicki. I was wondering if you would join me in thanking them, and I want to give them a gift certificate to Red Lobster to go on a hot date this week. Just the two of them, amen? So, Zoe, would you bring this back to Miss Vicki? I don't want to make her come all the way up. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Thank you for doing that. I know it's... Uh, not necessary to do everything in front of the entire congregation, but when you put as many hours and raise as much money as they did for us, and uh, it deserves uh, a meal. Amen? And so I'm glad I got to do that, and, and we got to do that. And love you so much, Steve and Vicki. Thank you. Wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do it without you. Well, in a moment, we're going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. That's where we're going to begin. But before we do, I want to say this. And it's in your notes. There is one sin that Christians have more difficulty with than any other. And there is one sin that is holding back the power of God more than any other sin in the life of Christians. And that sin is the sin of an unforgiving spirit. Let's talk about Freedom. Freedom from the bondage of unforgiveness. Or we could say it like this. Freedom of forgiveness. And here's why I would say it either either way. Because as we talk about forgiveness, you're going to find out that when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And then you discover that prisoner was you. And so let's read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Let's talk today about freedom of forgiveness. Wow. Just reading these verses in Matthew 6 are so convicting. Look at verse 9. As the Lord begins to teach us how to pray, he says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then Jesus makes this statement. And he says we should pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Underline that. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then verse 15, 14 and 15. For if we, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. So there's two great enemies that, that come against the human soul here. As we begin to think about the, the, the prayer that Jesus was teaching us to pray here, we identify enemy number one as guilt and enemy number two as bitterness. And so many people are driven into the ground spiritually and psychiatrically, if you will, potentially, uh, physically, by guilt and by bitterness. And this scripture that we just read deals with those two things. It deals with guilt and it deals with bitterness. In verse 12, we, we see the guilt as Jesus says, forgive us our debts. And then it deals with bitterness as it says, as we forgive our debtors. Both of these problems are dealt with in that verse. The problem of of guilt, the problem of of bitterness in our lives. And when we are forgiven, we are set free from the prison of guilt. And we're set free from the prison of bitterness. It breaks the... You've heard that song. It's an old song. Maybe you haven't heard it. It talks about he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. The prisoner oftentimes is the person who has not forgiven the person who has done him wrong. One of God's greatest gifts to you and one of God's greatest gifts to me is the gift of forgiveness. It's a gift. God gave us forgiveness. And because God gave us forgiveness, we have the benefit of of living free one day from the bondage of sin forever in a place where there is no sin, there is no sadness, there is no sickness, there is no sorrow, all because of what? God's forgiveness. The Bible calls our sin a debt. You see, I owed a debt I could not pay. But Christ paid a debt he did not owe. And that's, again, verse 12, kind of the key verse for at least the first part of the message. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, our sins have put us in debt to God. You understand that? Because of our sins, there's a debt that we have to pay. We must be forgiven. But then God goes on to say, not only must we be forgiven, but we must also learn to forgive. Now, when you forgive anybody, you you cancel the debt. The debt that was owed uh, against you. You cancel that debt. That's what forgiveness is. Sin is the debt. We owe that debt. When God forgave us of that sin, he canceled the debt. Make sense? If you owed me $1,000 and I canceled the debt, that cost me $1,000. It costs to forgive. And sin is a debt, and when debt is forgiven, the forgiver pays. Salvation may be free to you, but it costs God, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Salvation may be free to you, but it cost the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible speaks of Jesus when it says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That's why one of my favorite definitions of the word grace is what? God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ paid the debt for us. We owe the debt. Christ paid the debt out of the riches of his grace. And that's the right reason why we say that. God's riches at Christ's expense. God doesn't overlook my sin. Not at all. God doesn't overlook sin. God himself pays the debt of my sin. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his precious blood, paid the debt of my sin. And that's why when I sing about the blood of Jesus, I can't help but to be overwhelmed. You see, I owed a debt I couldn't pay that was going to send me to hell forever. But God, through his son Jesus, who shed his blood for me, paid for all of my sin. And you just can't say that without feeling some appreciation and gratitude to a God that loved me that much. Would pay the debt that I owed. So forgiveness is the paying of a debt that someone else cannot pay. When God forgives me, he says this. And this is where it gets a little bit difficult. When God forgives me, God says, I must forgive others as I have been forgiven. And according to this verse that we just read, if I withhold forgiveness to someone else after having been forgiven, then according to Scripture, I stop the stream of God's forgiveness until I'm willing to forgive those who have sinned against me. So I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments of reasons why we ought to forgive. I'm going to give you four reasons and then move on with some some results of that forgiveness and and, and ways that we can forgive like Jesus forgave. Because you're going to want to know that. Because even though I'm going to give you the, the reasons why we should forgive, sometimes it's still tough to do it, isn't it? I'll give you the reasons, and I, I think they're pretty convincing, but still, preacher, how do I do it? I, I, I've got some scripture for you. I don't know how to do that. It's really hard, but I, I learned from God how to do it. He's a pretty good teacher. So let me give you four reasons why you ought to forgive. Now, there, if there's somebody here today who has done you wrong, then you need to forgive. Who has done you wrong? Think for just a moment. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe your wife. Maybe it's an employer or some employee. Maybe it's a brother or a sister or a neighbor. So ask yourself this question, why should I forgive? Four reasons. Number one, you should forgive because of the grace factor. You should forgive because you have been forgiven. That's why, number one, that's a reason. It's a good reason. It's a great reason. Maybe the best reason. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, to tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Why should I do all that, God? Why should I be so forgiving? Why should I be so kind? And God, why should I be so tenderhearted? And God says, here's why. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
You see, God has shown grace to you and God has shown grace to me. Therefore, we should show grace to others. Sam Jones said this. I had a hard time forgiving people until I made up my mind. I wasn't going to fall out with anyone until he treated me worse than I treated Jesus. You see, we crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. We crucified him. So there's the grace factor. We forgive because we have experienced the grace of God. And God says, if you've experienced my grace and forgiveness from all of your sin, then, then, then you need to forgive others grace. Number two, there's the guilt factor. The guilt factor simply means this, that if we do not forgive, then no longer can we be forgiven. We're still guilty. So we should be forgiving because unforgiveness, it shuts out, if you will, it dams up, if you will, the forgiveness of God. That's what verse 14 and verse 15 teaches. Tough verses to read and easy just to skim over and really easy just to say, you know, I don't think God meant it like that. No, that, that's the devil telling you that. Every time you say, I don't think God meant it like that, go back to the Garden of Eden. That's what the serpent said to Eve. Yea, hath God said no, no, God meant what he said. God said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive your sins. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So verse 14 and verse 15 teaches us that an unforgiving spirit is unforgivable. Someone said it like this, the person who will not forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must travel. Think about that for just a minute. The person who will not forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must travel. Have you ever thought about how dangerous this prayer really is? It's an amazing prayer. You are saying when you pray this prayer, God, treat me like I treat other people. That's what you're saying. Treat me like I treat other people. Verse 12. Think about this verse again with me. And forgive us our debts. Here's my prayer, God. Forgive us our debts. You taught me to pray like this, God. Forgive us our debts as I forgive my debtors. I want you to forgive me of my debts, God, just like I forgive others of theirs. God, treat me like I treat others. Someone says, oh, I'll forgive. I'll forgive. I'll just not have anything to do with them. God says, okay, well, I won't have anything to do with you then. Someone says, well, 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 I'll forgive, but I won't forget. God says, okay, well, I'll forgive and I won't forget. The grace factor, you've been forgiven. The guilt factor, if you don't forgive, your guilt will remain. Number three, the third factor is the grief factor. The grief factor. And this simply is another reason why we should forgive because... If you don't, you will have personal harm and grief that will come to you personally. You see, our unforgiveness spirit keeps us in prison. We talked about that. When we are bitter, then we are the prisoner. We are the ones who are rotting from the inside out. Bitterness destroys the container that it is in. 
So why should you forgive others? Well, first of all, let's forgive others for Jesus' sake. Amen? Listen, God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. That's what the scripture says. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Can you not, for Christ's sake, forgive them? If God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, cannot we, for Christ's sake, forgive them? Amen. Secondly, why should we forgive them for, for their sake? For Jesus' sake, but, but for their sake. Forgiveness is not giving a person what they deserve. It's giving a person what they need. They don't deserve forgiveness, but they sure need it, don't they? Did anybody here deserve God's forgiveness? But did you need it? Has anybody ever heard someone say, better than I deserve? You know, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. Exactly, because you don't deserve to feel so good. But for the grace of God, we're all here today. If someone here feels today there, well, I'm this because I'm entitled, because I'm better than someone else. Okay, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's another sermon. That's the Pharisee. But none of us are going to be Pharisees this morning because we've been set free from religion. We're not going the religious route. We're going the humble route, the publican route. God be merciful to me, a sinner. My righteousness is as filthy rags. And there's nothing good about me, God, but you. You're the only good thing, God. You alone are worthy. If there's anything good about me, it's only what you've given me, God. With that attitude, it's so much easier to forgive others. Thirdly, why should we forgive others? For your sake. For Jesus' sake, for their sake, for your sake. An unforgiving spirit will keep you in a prison of your own making. If you keep them on the hook, I can promise you this. You keep them on the hook, you'll stay on the hook with them. So why should you forgive? Because of the grace factor. You've been forgiven. The guilt factor. The grief factor. You'll have grief until you replace it and let it go. And then number four, the gain factor. Why should we forgive? Four reasons. Number four, the gain factor. I love this one. This is kind of, uh, <clears throat> this is a really awesome spiritual truth in the Word of God. We studied this a few weeks ago. We actually took this passage in Matthew chapter 18 and applied it to how we ought to love one another. So here's the gain factor. The gain factor is this. When you forgive, you'll gain your brother back. And can I tell you something about your brother? He's precious. He's your friend. He, he's your brother or sister in Christ. You'll gain your brother back. You'll gain your sister back. The person who has wounded you is either your brother or a potential brother. Amen. Someone who we want to be a brother or a sister. And so we go back to that great text we studied weeks ago. Matthew chapter 18 on the screen in verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, say it with me, church, thou hast gained thy brother. There it is. The gain factor. To gain your brother back. It's rejoicing. The load's been lifted. The fellowship is back because a brother, a sister is a precious thing. Matthew 5 and verse 24. Leave your gift before the altar and go thy way. Before anything, 
be reconciled to your brother. And then come offer your gift. Wow. God puts a priority on unity. God puts a priority on you and I reconciling with one another before we do anything else. I don't need to be up here preaching with, with an unforgiving spirit this morning. I need, to, I need to make sure in my life that I've been a forgiving person and that I, because I have been forgiven. So when you forgive another, then you gain a brother. And when brothers and sisters fail to forgive, do you know what that does? Let me give you four things it does. First thing it does is it disgraces the father. It disgraces the father. When my children do not love one another, it is a disgrace to me. That's one thing that I want from my kids. I want my children to love one another, to love each other. We've been talking, Caroline and I have been talking lately about how pleased we've been about how they're getting along so well. It hasn't always been that way. It's not always that way. We've had to work at it. Sibling rivalry, right? You know what I've always told everyone that I've ever spoken to? Your best friends ought to be your brothers and sisters. My best friend is Brett Capace. I love my brother. I, people say his daughters would ask him, you know, did you and Eric ever fight? And he answers, he answers. I don't, I, I would say the same thing he said, but he answers because they tell me, no, we never fought. We've always been best friends. My brother. Whenever we had a little tiff, usually at commercials, when I would wrestle him down, you know, it'd be why he, he hated commercials because he knew at commercials I was going to, you know. We, we'd always make up quickly. It disgraces the father when his children don't forgive one another. Number two, it discourages the saints. It discourages the saints. You see, there's few things that hurt a church worse than an unforgiving spirit. Few things that hurt a church worse than to have unforgiveness in the church, to have this one on this side of the auditorium, or this one here, or this one in this small group, or this one here, or this situation, or that one, or this one. And unforgiveness in the church, it hurts the church. It discourages the saints. Because we know that we we must forgive one another if we're to have unity in the church. It also disgusts the lost. Unsaved people are quick to see when there is a rift in a Christian family or church. Unsaved people are quick to say, yeah, if that's what that's all about. Man, I went to church one Sunday, and you could tell that preacher was angry at everybody, and I sat next to somebody and heard them say something to somebody else about the sermon, and they didn't like the music, and they didn't like this, and they didn't, oh, man, listen, you know what? It it sounds about like it does in the world. It just disgusts the loss. You see, some of these folks aren't saved in this world, and what they need to see is that we love one another because the Bible says that's how they're going to know we're his disciples. Many of folks won't get saved because they've seen so much unforgiveness in the church. And then finally, it delights the devil. The devil loves to see the brethren at odds with one another. He loves it. He just... Rubs his hands together and licks his chops. He loves gossip. He loves infuting. He loves, he loves Christians arguing with one another. Because the scripture says, behold how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God hates sowing discord among the brethren. Read it. 
He hates it. I didn't say he hated it. He said he hated it. I would have said it nicer than that. I would have said I dislike it. You know? God says, that's not strong enough, Eric. You're too nice. I hate it. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I need to hate it too. You know why? You know what the devil hates right now? The devil hates what's going on in the city of Hot Springs. Because pastors are getting together. He hates it. The devil hates it so much because at the convention center for the last four months, we've had a prayer gathering where hundreds of people have gathered together with pastors and and with other believers. And we've worshipped together and we've praised God together. And even though we have maybe some differences in doctrine and some differences and uh, in preferences and some differences in styles and different names on walls, hey, one thing we know when we come together under the only name, I love this little thing I wear, no other name. When we come together in his name, there am I in the midst of them. When we come together in the name of Jesus, we can pray with every brother and sister in this town, regardless of what denomination, what race, what color, what diversity. Come on now. And the devil hates that. He hates the fact that this Thursday morning at the Lake Valley Church, I'm going to be there with about 35 pastors, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran. Amen. I love it. And well, you know what we're going to do together? We're going to go there. And the pastor there, um, Brother Trishman, right? Lamar, Lamar Trishman. Awesome. He's going to open up because this is how we do it. We, we pray for it. We, we have an hour together. Lamar is going to get up and he's going to just tell his story. He's going to share his heart. He's going to share his burdens. And we're all going to gather around Lamar and lay hands on him and pray for him for 45 minutes. And the devil's going to say, stink! I hate that! Look at those brethren getting together! And God's going, I love it. I love it. My people are coming together. Hey, we can't win this city by ourselves. I like what a preacher said recently. If we filled every church in town, we'd still have need space to reach the lost. All that to say, listen, it delights the devil when he sees the brethren not forgiving one another. You know what we've done in these meetings? We've all said, I'm sorry. We've all said, forgive me. We've all, all of us have. I've stood in the midst of these pastors and said, forgive me. I've been a stuck up, cult acting, isolationist over on Garland Street. I've been over there rejecting your invitations to attend anything you've done because I've got my little thing going. And I'm not the only one that said that, Doug. They're all saying it. We're all just, you know, one pastor got up and confessed that eight months ago he was over here in Hester's when I guess there was a big storm. Did anybody know about the storm that blew the window through in Hester's restaurant? And it cut this preacher's head and he took 20 inches of stitches. His church is 10 blocks away from mine. And I looked at him and I said, 10 months ago, you were in the hospital for several days. 10 months ago, my brother, 10 blocks away, his whole life in church was in disarray. He said, man, I went through a tough time. For the next few weeks, we lost a lot of people. I didn't really have anybody to preach. I said, bro, next time that happens, you call me. I got preachers here that will go over there and preach. We'll send, we'll send reinforcements. Oh, 
what if they like it more over there than here? Listen, folks, we need, we need people to be where God wants them to be. I want you to be here. I hope you'll be here. I'm dedicated to my church. I've been here 22 years. I'm glad I don't have that attitude. You know, I want to be here. But, but I know one thing. I know it has changed our city to see preachers loving one another. Now, you know what we need? We need more of that in our churches. And I believe we'll see that now. Now, forgiving is extremely costly. Somebody has to pay. Because forgiveness is the canceling of a debt. And when you forgive your debts, then you pay up. Is that right? When you forgive your debts, you, you pay up. So Jesus, then, is the model of forgiveness. We can learn how to forgive by watching his life. So let me give you three ways that we are to forgive like Jesus. Because I, I don't want to just tell you, you ought to forgive. I want to give you the best illustration I can think of. And it's not me, and it's not you, it's Jesus. And, prayer, and thankfully, we've got, we've got the example right here. Jesus is the model for forgiveness. For, uh, remember Ephesians 4.32, Be ye kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the kind of price that heaven paid is the kind of price that we need to pay. So number one. If we're to forgive like Jesus forgives, then we are to forgive freely. Because the Bible says, freely we have received, what? Freely give. Freely we have received forgiveness, freely we give forgiveness. That's how Jesus forgave. Because we forgive freely, we are to be quick to do it. We've been forgiven freely, so forgive quickly. Or rather, we've been forgiven quickly. Thank God for that. And so we should forgive quickly. So often we collect Our revenge first. I forgive, but first I want to get back at him. Can I tell you something about revenge? God's much better at that than you are. God says, vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. You just forgive like I've forgiven. But too often we want to make sure, well, I forgive. I just want to get one punch in. Well, I forgive, but I just want to get one little conversation. I just want to hurt them a little bit. I just want them to feel like I felt... Forgive quickly. Be in a hurry to forgive. That's why the Bible says, let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you. Put it away. Quickly as possible. When Jesus was on the cross, while they were crucifying him, he's dying on the cross. Blood streaming down his face, his side, nails in his hands and feet. And what does he say while he is dying? Father, forgive them. We should seek them out. Just like Matthew 18, 15 said. We'll read it again. More of thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Go and tell him. Go to him. Go tell him. If you need forgiveness, go to him. If you need to forgive, go to him. Do it quickly so you can gain your brother. Isn't that what God did in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the Bible says, <clears throat> I don't have this for the screen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto them. He sought them out. And he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? 
we ought to be seeking others out. You see, you should go to them whether you're in the right or whether you're in the wrong. Every one of us ought to take the offensive when it comes. Be offensive. In other words, not offensive, in a, but be, be aggressively offensive in trying to get things settled. Number two, forgive freely and forgive fully. But why don't we forgive fully? Because pride often gets in the way. And we begin to say things like this. And this is, I believe, prideful statements. You know, <clears throat> well, um, hey, I'm sorry. Oh, it doesn't matter. Hey, listen, I'm really sorry. I don't care. It's no big deal. It does matter. You do care. And it is a big deal. And you know it. Why do we say things like that? Because of pride. You see, forgiveness is not politeness. Forgiveness is not accepting an apology. And forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is forgiving freely and fully, not glossing over it. Forgetting is not the means to forgiveness. Forgiving, or forgetting rather, is the results of forgiveness. It's tough to forgive. It's not easy. We have been hurt sometimes. We have been done wrong. But we must forgive freely and we must forgive fully and we must forgive, number three, finally. Finally. We must bury it in the grace of God's forgetfulness never to be brought up again. When the Bible says God forgets our sins, what does that mean? What does it exactly mean when God says, I will forget your sins? Well, let's read what the Bible says together. It says that he remembers them against us no more. Isn't that right? He remembers our sins against us no more. In other words, there's no grudge there. It doesn't say he forgets our sins. He just remembers them against us no more. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't hold it against us. When somebody has done you wrong, if you forgive and forget, it doesn't mean your mind goes blank. Sometimes we struggle with that. Well, I just, I just, my mind isn't going blank. It's still there. I still, I still remember it. No, it means you remembered it against them. No grudge. Everything's cool. You've truly forgiven them. You never bring it up again. Caroline's wondering why I'm not looking at her right now. Because <laughs> recently she brought, I said, good night. That was like three years ago. Sometimes these sermons come to your own address. I, I, you know. It costs, doesn't it? It costs to forgive freely. It costs to forgive fully. It costs to forgive finally. Because it costs Jesus. Go to Calvary and see the cost. Go to the cross. And see the cost that Jesus paid. Why did he do it? Why was it worth it? Why was it worth it for Jesus to do all that? To forgive our sins and our debt against him? The answer, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame. That's why he did it. He paid your sin debt because 
He found joy in knowing, Marlena, that if he did that, that you would be in heaven. He found joy in that. And that's why he did it. It cost him a lot. But he was willing to pay that cost because you'd get to go to heaven. He was willing to lay down his life and die for the sins of mankind so that everybody would have that, that, that opportunity. They would have that chance to spend an eternity with their sins forgiven forever in a place called heaven. Forgiveness costs. But Jesus says it's worth the cost. For the joy. For the joy. And some might ask this morning, well, well how can, can I do this? I mean, you, you don't understand, Eric. I mean, nice sermon and everything, but you don't understand what my dad did to me. You have no idea how my mom's treated me. You don't know what the boss said to me. You don't understand what this person did to me. And I probably don't. But let me share with you Philippians chapter 2 as we close. Verse 12 and 13. <clears throat> Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye... Have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work it out. Here it is. Work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you to do or to will and to do his good pleasure. The truth of the matter is you can't forgive them. The only way to do it is to let God work in you. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But God says, and I love that verse 13, God working in me. With God working in me to do his will and to do his good pleasure, that I can learn to forgive. What if they keep on sinning against me? I just, I just preach, okay, I'll forgive, but what if they keep on sinning against me? All right, Luke chapter 17, verse 3 on the screen. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Key words, next four words. I guess we sometimes look these over. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn against to thee, again to thee, saying, I, I repent, and thou shalt forgive him. In other words, those, the key words are repent. Repentance is necessary for forgiveness. Now, what if they refuse to repent. Well, we're getting down to the bottom now, aren't we? Well, we got to do what God did. We got to forgive Him in our heart. We got to store up forgiveness. Store it up. Store it up. That way, when they repent, forgiven. I got it. I got it right here. I've had it all the time. It's been, it's been here. I've just been waiting for you to repent. It's okay. I'm okay. I'm so sorry. It took me so long. It's okay. I, I forgave you in my heart a long time ago. And now I get to finally forgive you because you finally repented. Amen? I know I don't have a lot of time to elaborate on that thought, but I hope you'll study it and understand that's how we can store up forgiveness. Let me give you one verse here, not, not on the screen. I just looked this one up today, 1 John 2, 2 in my office. 1 John 2, 2 says, I love this, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, God says he's not just forgiven us, those that have been already forgiven, but he's got forgiveness stored up for when people get saved. Bam, forgiven. Woo! All you needed to do was repent. Can't get forgiven of your sins without, being, without, without repenting. But God says, hey, I've, in my heart, forgiven everybody in the whole world. And as soon as they repent, it's there. Forgiveness. 
forgiveness. The sins of the whole world. And then in closing, and I'll just give you these three, the results of forgiveness. Number one, first of all, there's going to be release. You're going to unhook yourself from the past. You're going to get freed up. God's people are getting set free from the bondage of unforgiveness. And no longer are you going to bear this burden. Number two, there will be reconciliation. You're going to gain your brother. A brother's a precious thing. And number three, there will be revival. Revival. Let me tell you what revival is. (laughs) Revival is when, not just when the roof comes off. You know, when the roof comes off, guess what happens? We get right with God, amen? Because we think revival is just getting right with God. Get right with God. Do we actually mean get right with God, but don't get right with your brother? Can't have revival by just getting right with God. The roof has to come off and the walls have to come down. That's forgiving your brother. So what do you have to do to have revival? Get right with God and get right with others. Both. Not just one or the other. Get right with both. That's revival. There'll be release. There'll be reconciliation. There will be revival. And it all starts with you being saved. If you've never trusted Christ, if you have never received his forgiveness, that's where it starts. It starts with that. You see, once you've been forgiven, then God says, listen, then you can learn to forgive others that have sinned against you. God wants to do that for you today. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin and much more than that. He wants to do things like write your name down in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. He wants to take you forever to a place with Him in in, in heaven. There are so many wonderful plans that God has for your life that all begin with forgiveness. How do I get that forgiveness? He's got it ready for you. It's ready. He's ready to write write it out. I repent, forgiven. I repent. I believe in the name of the Lord. Forgiven. Wonderful. I love it. Will you repent and believe this morning? If you've never done that, today would be a great day to do that. Let's all bow our heads. Close our eyes. Being set free.